Jason sort of threw me off there. Sorry, Pierce. Um, <laughs> he, uh, that, that was just uh, the Lord when Jason said, it is finished. Um, it was, the Lord was talking to me about that. And that's been a theme in my life this week. Um, it's been a, a bit of a challenging week personally. And, uh, and the Lord's just been saying, it's finished. It is finished. There's nothing that you have to add. There's nothing you can take away. It's just finished. It's done. And so when Jason gets up and says that, <laughs> God's like, okay, I'm with you as you go and preach to my people. And so church, like that is an example of how the body of Christ works, right? Where there's been this thing on Jason's heart. He doesn't know. I've not shared that with him, but it's been on his heart. And he just shares that in a moment. And like the Lord just speaks directly to my heart in that. Like that's what happens in the body of Christ. That's what happens when the gifts of the Spirit function in Jesus' church. And it's a beautiful thing when that happens, right? It, 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 there's nothing else like it in the entire world. There's no other space that God moves the way that he does in the midst of his people. So I'm just thankful for the body of Christ this morning. I'm just thankful for every single one of you in this room. All of you have gifts that the Lord has given you that has been given to you for the purpose of building up his church, for the purpose of encouraging those people around you. And I just, as your pastor, I encourage you to step into those things. You know, God has good work for you to do that he's prepared before you even knew Jesus Christ. And so just step into those good works that the Lord has for you to do in Christ. They're, they're life-changing work. They're, they're kingdom-changing work that Jesus has given his people. And so just didn't want to encourage you with that, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about this morning, but it's so good. Uh, we are going to be talking about work this morning. We've been going through Ephesians 4 uh, in 25 to 32, where Paul has been talking about different areas of our lives that need to come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about the area of work. It's a big piece of our lives. I mean, we're going to spend the vast majority of our lives here on earth working, and I think there's a lot of misconceptions about work, uh, definitely in the world, but also in Jesus's church. We have wrong motivations for work. We have wrong view of work. We think it's this thing that is just, sometimes it's awful. We don't want to do it. It's a curse, and that's just not true. Because God gave work before the fall. Adam and Eve had things to do. So work is a blessing. Uh, it's just been kind of tainted because of sin and because of the curse. So we need to redeem the motivation that we have for work. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Because we all have different motivations for why we work. Of course, at the base level of it is we have to provide. Right? We need to meet our basic needs. But there's so many other motivations for work in there as well. You know, sometimes we just work because we want more stuff, right? Not necessarily basic needs, just want some more stuff. Maybe some of us work because we actually enjoy our jobs, right? We get satisfaction from what we do. We enjoy it. And some of you are like, <laughs> no, I've never experienced that. Hopefully a lot of you have experienced that though. It's, it's a place where we actually get to use our skills. It's a place that we get to use the talents that God has put into us. We also go to work, hopefully, because we enjoy some of the social aspect of it. 
right? Some of us just love going to our workplaces because we like to connect with the people that are there. We like to be in those spaces with others. And then it's a place where we get to practice responsibility. It's a place where we get to earn respect as well. And so there's so many different motivations for why we step into the workplace. But if we're honest, probably the main reason for all of us would be monetary, right? That, that people want to and need to make money. And that is an acceptable motivation for work as long as it's within the proper boundaries, right? And so what Jesus does is when we come to him and we come to faith in him, he takes that main motivation, he takes that desire to make money, and he doesn't get rid of it, but he redirects that desire, he redirects the purpose of it, and gives us a new why behind it, a new why for why we want to now make money. And this is what we're going to look at this morning as we talk about a new motivation for our work. So would you pray with me as we dig in this morning? Heavenly Father, I pray over each person in this place. Lord, we can have so many different views about work. And unfortunately, a lot of our views about work are tainted by the world. And what the world says work is. And what the world says that we have to chase after. But God... We want to be uh, restrained. We want to be confined to what you say about work. We want to be motivated by what you say we should be motivated by. And so I pray, Lord, for those in here where work is a problem, where it's this space that has just always been a challenge, that they would find something fresh and new in their work this morning. Father, I pray that for those who have uh, just a misconstrued idea of the importance of work, that you would bring that under the lordship of Jesus Christ this morning, and that for those who you know, use work as an avoidance technique, so that they don't have to deal maybe with things at home or other things in their life, that you would speak to that this morning, that you would begin to heal that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Paul's instructions that we have been looking at for the last three weeks, and the instructions that we're looking at today as well, all of them, keep in mind, they flow back from Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. Uh, Paul says that followers of Jesus are to put off the old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt, or, sorry, yeah, is corrupt through deceitful desires, and that we are to be renewed in the spirit of our minds, to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so Paul says, listen, the old self is the way that you used to live before Christ. And that old self, for every person who is apart from Jesus, that old self is corrupt. And that old self is being corrupted by these desires that are misleading us towards things that actually aren't good for us. And there's a new way to live in Christ where you live in true righteousness, where you live in true holiness by putting on that new self, kind of like clothing, right? It needs to be, I said last week, it should be visible to other people. It should be seen through our conduct. And Paul gives, over the next several verses that we've been in over the last couple of weeks, he gives specifics to what that new self compared to the old self is like. Right? Paul says in verse 25, the old self was 
false, there was falsehood, there was lying, but in the new self, you are to speak truth to one another. That the old self, there was sinful anger, but as a new creation in Christ, you're not to hold on to sinful anger anymore. You are to be angry at times, but be angry and not sin. And then this morning, he says in verse 28, he says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he can share with anyone in need. So Paul's saying, for some, not for all, but for some, that corrupt self, those wicked desires, would lead people to thievery, to steal it. So he's saying, no longer do that with the new self. And though some would fall into that, he gives directions to everyone. And he says, all of you work honestly, labor, and work the way that you should that is honorable to someone who has the name of Christ, who carries the name of Christ. And so what I want to do this morning is I just want to look at the three main points that Paul makes in verse 28. Paul says, let the thief no longer steal. That's the first thing that he says. So Paul says that the old self is corrupt, right? The old self is spoiled. The old self is ruined. And it is being corrupted by those deceitful desires. And for some, those deceitful desires, which are birthed out of this condition of sin that we are all stuck in apart from Christ, those deceitful desires lead to deceitful actions. And some people, those deceitful actions include stealing. Now, we will all know the Greek word that's used here that's translated stealing. The Greek word is the word klepto. <laughs> We've all heard that, right? We know the term kleptomania. Right? It's, a, it's a disorder that involves being unable to resist urges to steal items. And often, it'll just be little items of little value, but it's this thing that happens repeatedly over and over, unable to resist it. You know, I used to work in loss prevention in Sears. So you know the mall cops that you made fun of? That wasn't me. I, I worked at Sears and I was undercover. So I'd go to work like this, just be walking around the store or I'd be on cameras. That's where I met Kate, bit of a story there if you don't know it. Uh, <laughs> But I would work undercover. And I remember one time this man walked in. He had a big duffel bag. And he was just one of those guys who was like, okay, he's just acting a little bit sketchy. And he walks in and he goes up to one of the counters and he steals a little chocolate bar worth of like $1.50. So I saw it. So I was like, well, got to go arrest him now for a chocolate bar. And I bring him back into our office and we have to call the police. There's a whole process that you have to walk through. And I was talking to the guy, and I was just like, why did you do it? And he was like, I don't know. I have no idea. He's like, I don't need to. It's $1.50. He's like, I actually just got off work. I make plenty of money. So he wasn't stealing for any need. He just couldn't understand. In that moment, he just decided to do it. And the number of times that you would hear that kind of story, like we would have walls of pictures 
of repeat offenders that we would just look for. And for us, it was like, well, that's going to be an easy target. Look who just walked in the door. They're here to steal. But it's sad because there's just this urge that they would just continually could not resist the temptation to steal. But you know what? It's not only that theft isn't always about taking things, right? Theft is not always about taking stuff. Some people steal time from their employers. Some people go to work and, and just don't put in an honest day's work. Maybe they skip out of work early. That's stealing from your employer. There's some people who withhold money from the government, who just refuse to pay taxes on things that they should. You live here, you pay taxes. You may not like it, but that's what you got to do. And you're stealing from the government if you don't. These are things that mark the old self. The old self is unable to resist sin. The old self is unable to resist urges to act sinfully. And so for some people, stealing was a lifestyle or is a lifestyle apart from Christ. But when you know Christ and the old self dies, the old way ends. And in the areas where the old way doesn't end, there's a stronghold that needs to be broken off. There is healing that needs to happen in Jesus Christ. Because the reasons for stealing are in opposition to the new self. Those reasons for stealing are covetousness and greed. We look at something that someone else has, we go, I want it, I can't obtain it, I'm going to take it. We see something we want, and we take it. And you know what's underneath those things? Covetousness and greediness, those are problems. But you know what those are? Those are symptoms. Because there's a bigger problem underneath covetousness. There's a bigger problem underneath greediness. And the root cause is unbelief in God. That's what it comes down to. It's unbelief in God. There is a hardness of heart that results in unbelief. And Jesus says in Matthew 15, 19, he says, For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. Those things come out of the heart because there is a hardness of heart that refuses to believe God. And so the old self, there's all these symptoms, but ultimately it is defined by our unbelief in God. And Paul says, put that off. Let the thief no longer steal. He says, come to Christ. No longer be ruled by that self. Don't be ruled by that self that is defined by unbelief, that is living in corruption because of deceitful desires like covetousness and greed. And you know the beautiful news this morning, church? is that God has made a way for us not to be ruled by the old self. Because we couldn't put it off on our own. 
But God made a way that we could take off that old self and put on that new self. And that is through Jesus Christ, him sending his son to bring freedom to the captive. Because the reality is that every single one of us, we're captive to our old self. We're captive to sin. And Jesus came and died on the cross carrying that burden upon his shoulders because we can't. And when we trust in him and go, I trust in the finished work of the cross, I stand now in righteousness and holiness, no longer bound by this old self, but in this new creation that Jesus Christ has given to me. Come on, church. And for the thief, it is never too late to turn from deceit. You know how I know that? Because there were two men on the cross next to Jesus. What does it say? Luke 23, verse 39 to 43. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God? since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. This man has done nothing wrong. So how can you rail at that guy? How can you rail at Jesus? We're hanging here because we should be. We were thieves. We are getting our due punishment. And this man on the cross, moments before death, getting the due punishment, looks at Jesus. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. At the very end of his life, he comes to Christ. He sees the truth of what Jesus is doing. He says, Jesus, welcome me. And Jesus doesn't look at him and go, oh, yeah, right, you thief, you scoundrel. I don't want you in my kingdom. He looks at him and goes, come on. Today, today, you will be with me in righteousness. I'm going to take off those old clothes, that old self that you were wearing, and I'm putting that new self on you so that you can walk as a new creation in my kingdom. And church, that's what he did for every single one of us. And you're here, and you're not a follower of Jesus. That's what he does for you when you come to him. Let the thief no longer steal. And then Paul says, but labor and do honest work. We are to work hard. We are to work honestly. And you know, that's a great ethic. That is an excellent ethic to have. That is an ethic that all of us should have. That when I go to my workplace, I'm going to labor and I'm going to work honestly. Now I thought this week when Jesus says work honestly, that means there's also dishonest work. Something to think about. This is work honestly, labor, work hard. But guess what? That kind of ethic, that's not something that's specific to Jesus' church. Like, that's something that can be seen in the world. The world can go to church. The world, the world can labor. The world can do honest work. 
And so as a new creation, we are called to at least that standard. We are called to honest work. But then Paul calls us to something way more than that. He calls us to a new motivation for our hard work. He says in verse 28, Let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Do you see that? Paul goes, here's your new motivation. You are to labor. You are to work so that. So that is this little conjunction word, Heine in the Greek, which expresses that which follows is the purpose, that which follows is the motivation for something. So Paul's saying, follower of Jesus, not only are you to work hard, not only are you to labor honestly, but you are to do so so that you have something to give to anyone in need. That's the biblical ethic behind work. That's the superior ethic that Paul calls followers of Jesus too. Paul's progressing from this inferior way of living to this superior way of living. He's saying you can steal in order to get. You can work in order to get. But you can, in Jesus Christ, also work in order to give. Paul's pointing out, listen, in the old self, in the world, you do everything in order to take. The old self takes. But guess what, follower of Jesus? The new self gives. There's no taking. There's giving. A mark of the new self, a mark of a new creation, is our concern for other people. A mark of the new self is that other people become a motivating factor for how we speak. That's what we looked at two weeks ago. For how we act. That's what we looked at last week. And for how we work. The well-being of others as the motivation for work. Like, come on, church. Like, does anybody actually think that way? I'm putting in my 9 to 5. I'm putting in my 40 hours a week so that I have something that I can give away. Nobody thinks that way. Nobody thinks that. But in Christ, that is what we're called to think. And it's not that we're going to make that change. It's that the Spirit of God is going to change our hearts and do it on our behalf. This is people, when he says, I'm going to work for others so I can give away to anyone in need, this is not your family. That's not what he's talking about here. Because Paul says in 1 Timothy 5.8, he's pretty clear about the family. Paul says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Yikes. So Paul's not talking about the family here. So we have to go beyond, okay, so I'm going to work in order to have something to give to my family. No, that is a baseline of what should happen. Paul's going, what I'm calling to is way beyond that. That's a given. Go further. And you can only go further in Christ. You can only go further in the power of the Spirit of God to change from the motivation of the world, I 
works so I get, to the motivation in Jesus Christ I get so I can do. Paul says in Acts 20, 35, he says, listen, I've shown you this in the way that I live. He says, in all things, I have shown you that by working hard, in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. How does this change happen? Like I said, it's, it's not something that we can muster up in ourselves. But this change happens because of belief in God. It happens because of trust in the Lord. You see, if, if stealing and gaining for yourself is rooted in unbelief, then stealing must be overcome by faith. That's how it must be overcome. Living for yourself must be overcome by faith. We come to live this new ethic by believing God. We come to live it. You know, when we read in the scriptures what it says, like we know what's true from God's word. But what has to happen, church, we've been talking about this whole series, is what's true in God's word, what is objectively true, has to become true in our hearts. It needs to go from head to heart, right? It needs to go to this inner being in ourselves where it actually begins to form us in Christ so that we don't just know it from reading, we know it in here. And it motivates everything that we do. And when it gets to there, then we live out of this new biblical ethic of, I'm just, I want to give to anyone in need. And we can do it because we believe not just from Scripture, but in our hearts that God has said He will provide for me, and so He will. I don't have to worry. My Father in Heaven has got me as I do what I need to do. Now, you've said that. I trust it. And out of that overflow of trust, I can then give away. I don't have to hold tightly anymore. When we live this way, we're living according to who we are. We're living according to the new creation, the new self that we are in Christ. Here's what happens. When you work with the motivation of giving to others, you know what it does to your job? It turns your job <laughs> into a work of grace. Have you thought about that? It turns the job that you go to into a work of grace. What is grace? We talked about this not too long ago for those that were in Thrive. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is receiving something that is undeserved. Grace is receiving something that we could not produce in ourselves. And so it turns our work into this work of grace because we then have this extra that we go, see, you couldn't produce it. Do you need it? I'm going to give it to you. See, we are people that in all things should live under grace. 
because we receive grace through Jesus Christ. We now live under grace. And that means that all that we do should be a work of grace. That which we have received, we then take and pour out for others. I did not deserve it, but I received mightily. And out of that overflow of understanding that, I give. This is the superior biblical ethic of grace. And if you're a follower of Jesus, it's what you're called to do. It's who you are. Hebrews 13, 16. The writer says, do not neglect to do good to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Father, like all things in faith, you call us to be people that we absolutely cannot be in our own power. And that's the beauty of faith. That's the beauty of this relationship with Christ, that I cannot produce in myself what is needed to do this. In fact, apart from the power of God, apart from the Holy Spirit working in my heart, I would work to take. I would work to gather up. I'd be like that guy who was just building bigger barns so that he could just hold all of his stuff. Father, you show us in your word that you go to that person and you say, this night your soul is demanded of you. Now what? What with all? What are you going to do with all of the things that you have stored up on this earth that you now are not going to get to enjoy? Father, I pray that you would change our motivation for work in the name of Jesus. For some of us, this is a big problem. We are still driven by covetousness. We are still driven by greed. We are still driven by selfishness. We have the mindset that we will never have enough. We may be living far above the means of the majority of people, and we still go, ah, I don't have enough. And that is not a place of rest. That is a place of striving. And it is a place that the world lives. But God, you have called us to rest. So Father, I pray that trust would increase in this place. I pray that we would not only just read the scriptures that say you will take care of us, that you will provide for all of our needs, but that would take hold in our heart. Break off the lies that are there and replace it with your truth in a way that actually changes us. In a way that changes how we live, how we think. You are abundantly able to do this. Father, through this, may we be lights in your world. Not so that may, people may see us, but so that they may see you. And they recognize you are better than anything else that they can see. Working with Jesus. 